many years. And uh, Tony shared a little bit of this at a prayer and fast day that we held uh, with Fresh Streams. And uh, really sensed it was a, a word from the Lord for us as a church. So I've asked Tony to unpack that a little bit more uh, this morning. So over to you, Tony. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Good morning, everybody. Roger came to me before the meeting began, the service began. And he said, I hear you're speaking this morning. I said, yes, I, I, I heard that too. <laughs> or something like that. And uh, he, said, he said, I want you to know, I should be sitting just over there. He said, if you look around and everybody's gone to sleep, you look at me. So he's going he's gonna to go the distance. <laughs> We're going to talk about Daniel, the man who prayed. And prayed. And prayed. By way of introduction, there is a remarkable verse in Ezekiel chapter 14. We're only going through it lightly, we're not stopping here. God is speaking about occasions when he may choose to call time on a nation. He has the power to do that. In this particular instance, God is referring to Israel, his covenant people, and to Judah in particular. And in the, in the middle of it all, he says something quite remarkable about three men who are unusually linked together. Ezekiel 14, verse 12. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful, and I stretch out my hand against it. That's a dreadful thought. Verse 14. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the Sovereign Lord. What a remarkable verse. With about 1,400 years of Israel's prior history to choose from, when God wanted to cite examples, three examples of righteousness, the ones he chose were Noah, Daniel, and Job. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, why not Abraham? Or Moses? Giants of Old Testament history. But it was Noah, Daniel, and Job. We know that all three had to stand up and be counted. Uh, Noah against the whole world. Who laughed at him. Daniel against a totalitarian state 
which threw him to the lions. And Job against his own flesh and blood. Do you remember what his wife's advice was? It was pretty explicit. Curse God and die. A long time ago, someone suggested that we could characterize these three men like this. And this is what really sits well with me. Noah preached righteousness. Standing on his feet. 2 Peter 2.5 Daniel practiced righteousness on his knees. And Job preserved righteousness lying on the ground. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Or to put it one more way, Noah walked with God Genesis 6, 9. Daniel prayed to God. And Job just plain hung on to God. We do that sometimes, don't we? So it's the middle one of this trio, Daniel, that I would like us to focus on this morning. And uh, thinking of him as the one who prayed. Because as a church, we pray. We pray constantly for God's kingdom to come, to come on earth, to come in Camden, in Morton, in Stowe, in our towns and villages, across our nation, all over the world. We pray. And we work towards it in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we look at Daniel's story, we will see an amazing example of how God interacts with our prayers and how he responds by working on many levels to accomplish his purpose. And I trust it will be an encouragement to us. He works on the macro level. In the unseen realm, dealing with dark spiritual powers. He works on a national level, dealing with individual nations, nations just like ours. He deals on the micro level, dealing with communities and individuals, with families with churches, with his own sons and daughters, with you and me. When we pray, we never know what divine activity we are triggering off or in what sphere. So let's have a look at Daniel. Imagine this scene for this young man. A young man with a heart for God. Late teens, maybe 20 years old perhaps. Born in Jerusalem 
living in Jerusalem in 605 BC. Times are desperate. The Babylonian army is surrounding the city. And eventually the Jewish king Jehoiakim surrenders and becomes a vassal of King Nebuchadnezzar. For a while, life in Jerusalem is allowed to continue pretty much as before. But now under foreign sufferance, under foreign dictat. Any doubts about about what that might mean were very quickly dispelled when a group of young men of royal or noble blood, including Daniel, were rounded up for immediate deportation to Babylon. So Daniel arrives as a captive in the city at the heart of the Babylonian Empire. And it isn't long before his talent and his wisdom and I think especially his ability to interpret dreams and to prophesy brought him to the attention of Nebuchadnezzar. God is already laying his plans, positioning his young servant at court. Now God has a voice at the heart of the Gentile Empire. I wonder where God has positioned you. Do you know? Are you clear about that? Maybe geography, it may be a sphere. Are you committed to where he's positioned you? Eight years later, there is a second deportation. We're coming to Daniel 9. Just hang on. I'm just kind of laying a bit of groundwork. A second deportation from Jerusalem. And this time, Daniel sees 10,000 Jewish captives arriving in Babylon and joining him there. And among those was a young Ezekiel. God has positioned another servant where he wants him. Ten years after that, Daniel hears news from Judea that broke his heart. Jerusalem has fallen. The city has been burnt to the ground. Its walls demolished, and the last group of captives are on their way. But the worst news of all for Daniel, the temple, have been destroyed. Remember, Daniel has already been in Babylon for 18 years. Day and night, year after year, he has prayed 
with his window open toward Jerusalem. It was the place of the name, the place of the presence, the place of the glory of the God of Israel. For him, in his era, it was the magnetic north of faith. Only it wasn't there anymore. Daniel is heartbroken. We sing it sometimes, don't we? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Daniel's vision was for God's glory to fill the whole earth, radiating out from the temple. Do you know what? So is ours. So is ours. With one big difference. We are the temple. We are called to be the location of the presence of God that radiates outwards. I see Daniel going home to his room that night after the catastrophic news, opening his window towards the Jerusalem that used to be, falling on his knees and saying, God, how do I pray now? And it felt like that. When you watch the national news or the world news, God help me to pray. Daniel is now in his late thirties. And somewhere in his aching heart, faith stirs the prophet to pray one more time. The truth is, he isn't going to stop now. He isn't going to stop today, nor tomorrow. He's not ever going to stop as long as he lives. Not until God comes back in saving power and his glory and his presence are seen again. Fast forward a few decades. That was the introduction. No, that's, we're halfway, okay? Just a little word of encouragement. Fast forward a few decades, quite a lot of decades. Daniel, now as an old man, still praying. When a moment of revelation comes, Daniel chapter 9, Verse 1. In the first year of Darius, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And his heart leaps. Can you just imagine it? Daniel has found, I guess, 
a copy of Jeremiah 25. A prophecy that was given back in the land in the very year that he was deported. And he begins to count. How long have we been here? And he goes through the reigns of the different kings. And he gets to 64, 65, 66, 67. And he begins to think, this is it. God is coming. It could be this year. See what I did there? It could be this year. I rather think the dam breaks and the tears begin to flow. Now we have a praying man tuned in to the prophetic voice, to what God has said. Verse 3, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. The prophetic feeds into Daniel's prayers and his intercession takes on a new focus. It was a fresh zeal for the last push, for the last push. Is this connecting with us? Has God called our generation for the last push? I don't know, but I know the call is there. The call is there. Listen to Daniel's prayers. Verse 4. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him, we have sinned. Verse 17, Give ear, O God, hear, open your eyes, see the desolation of the city that bears your name. O Lord, listen, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. There's the heart of the man. His burden is for the name. His heart burns with a passion for the city, for the people, for the temple, but above all for the glory of the name among the nations. Two things happened as a result of Daniel's prayers. First, his prayers led directly to an angelic visit. Verse 23. While I was still in prayer, still on his knees, Gabriel came to me in swift flight. I love that. Heaven is responding to this man. Heaven is responding. 
about the time of the evening sacrifice. And there is Gabriel standing in front of a man on his knees. Do you know when we pray in the will of God, heaven and earth come together and God's history begins to get made when we pray in the will of God. Gabriel brings more revelation. The second thing that happened, his prayers affect a conflict which was raging in heavenly places. Chapter 10, verse 11. A second angel visits him. Daniel, you are highly esteemed. You want to know what God thinks of of his people when they pray? Here it is. Daniel, you are highly esteemed. I have now been sent to you. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them, to those words. And the angel describes how he was resisted by a dark supernatural power for 21 days. It's all there if you want to read it. How the conflict delayed him until Michael, the archangel, came and helped him to get through to a praying man. Something was shifting in the unseen realm. Something was shifting. God was beginning to work in that sphere where it had to begin. Meanwhile, on earth, God has been on the move among the nations. He has brought down the Babylonian Empire because they exceeded the mandate he gave them. you want to pursue that, read Daniel 2 and Zechariah 1. Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon, has been brought to book personally for his sins. Do you remember the writing on the wall at the feast? You have been weighed in scales and found wanting. Rulers discovering too late that they are accountable to God for how they use power. In his place, God has raised up the Persian Empire. Look at your history books, it's all there. The city of Babylon, where the captives are, has changed hands. And now Cyrus, the new Persian king, is in charge. Do you know Cyrus was named 200 years before by the prophet Isaiah? Chapter 45. And now the God of heaven moves him into place, having spoken of him 200 years before. 
How can you not love the Old Testament? The glory of God is all over it. Prayer and the prophetic now are coalescing with divine activity on many levels. God has taken the field. In between those two angelic visits, and here we get to the nub, the people of God in Babylon got up one morning, as you do, had a shower, had their breakfast, And there's a buzz in the air. The news is going round. Cyrus has issued a decree. Can you imagine in those areas where the captives lived? Can you see those big burly blokes on the street? We're going home! We're going home! Can you imagine it? We will rebuild the altar. We will rebuild the temple. And God will come to dwell again. And the presence will be there. And the glory will be there. Speaking about, about it later, one of them said, we were like them that dream. Psalm 126. Except that it wasn't a dream, it was reality. Prayer and the prophetic. Divine activity turned dreams into reality. Yes. Sorry. Finally, when the day of departure dawns, I see an old man standing in the gate, just turned into his 80s. I have some sympathy with that and it's coming next year. <laughs> Watching those 50,000 people set off to cross the desert heading for Judea. He won't be going with them. He will continue to be God's voice at the Persian court. But Daniel's heart is dancing with indescribable joy. He has played his part and he lived to see the breakthrough. God had visited his people. And in his heart he knew that one day the glory of God would fill the whole earth. The prophet Habakkuk put it this way. You know it well. 2.14. 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is why in Shipping Camden, in 2019, we pray and we pray and we pray for the kingdom of God to come on earth. We pray that we might see more and more of his rule here and now. Charles Wesley got it spot on. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. A prisoner leaps to loose his chains. The weary find eternal rest and all of those in one are blessed. We can't have just sons. As the last family group move out, heading towards the horizon and the desert and the journey home, I see Daniel turning and walking back into the city. He has an appointment in his upper room with the window open towards the Jerusalem that's going to be. He begins to pray for the fulfillment of it all. I close with, uh, with this. In 2007, Tom Wright published a book. He publishes a book pretty much every year. What grabbed me with this one was the title. And it was called Surprised by Hope. Surprised by Hope. In the second chapter, he refers to a well-known and much-loved hymn sung all over the world. We sing it here. We love it. And he suggests that if we could change three words, the hymn would more closely represent the true hope that God has set before us. The hymn was translated from the original Swedish into Russian, and then in 1948 from the Russian into English as it happens, by a brethren missionary, Stuart Hine, whom I met as a teenager. It was, of course, How Great Thou Art. We sing it here sometimes. I didn't ask Alan for us to sing that this morning. If we were to follow Tom Wright's recommendations, the last verse would read like this. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and heal this world, what joy shall fill my heart. Then shall I bow 
in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. We have the true hope for this desperate world. Let's never forget that the beachhead was established 2,000 years ago. The king has already been enthroned and his kingdom is advancing and it's advancing today across the world in the face of unprecedented persecution in many nations. Nothing can stop it now. Some of you remember we used to sing all over the world. The Spirit is moving all over the world as the prophet said it would be. What can you say? Lord, help us to pray. Help us to pray. Help us to live the hope. Help us to seek your kingdom first and pour out your spirit a deluge like never before. I love what Phil says from time to time. He says, why not here? Why not? Band.